Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello and welcome to the Ask Your Industry podcast, episode 75. I'm comedian Simon Kane, and for those of you new to the show, this is the podcast where I interview the most influential people from the world of stand-up, comedy, radio, and today, TV. Paul Whedon started Red24 in order to nurture and grow new talent for presenters and for other roles around the industry. As most people know, most comedians can't make a living as just a performer. There are a few that do on the club circuit and there are a few famous ones that have their own audience, but even then, they've usually had to do some sort of TV work to gain that kind of exposure. Today, I got on an agent who deals with TV presenters and comedians alike. We talked through the awkward questions that most people wanted to know or asked through my Facebook group. Things like, can comedians be TV presenters? Do you need to look a certain way or be a certain level of quote-unquote attractiveness to be a TV presenter? What does the future of TV hold? And so much more. I think this podcast would be great for any comedian who is looking at diversifying their earnings and also for any performer who is looking at getting into TV presenting or TV jobs or even someone who just is interested in becoming a TV presenter who doesn't do any other type of performing. So if you know anyone in any of those three categories or beyond, feel free to pass them on a link to this podcast if you think they'll get any value out of it. As always, please do take a second to join the Facebook group. It's called Ask the Industry Podcast, and it's on Facebook, obviously. That is the best place to ask any questions to future guests that you want to know. So if there's anything that didn't get asked in this interview that you might want to ask a future person that represents TV channels, presenters, bookers, all that kind of stuff, do join the Facebook group. I've got some amazing guests lined up for 2017, and... You get to have your say. This is a conversation. The reason I love this is because I think of it as a conversation. I think of it as a dialogue, not just finishing with each episode of the podcast. It happens also in the group. So if there's anything you want to discuss or you want to write below each one of the posts, please do. That's your place to have your say and dialogue with me and dialogue with the other industry people who have joined the group. Also, if you have a moment, please do consider reviewing the show in iTunes. It helps out massively both in chart performance but also on the recommendation engine that iTunes works with. So if you have a moment, you have to do it on the desktop. I had a few people ask me about this recently. You have to do it on the desktop version of the application. It doesn't really work on the app. So please log in, 
takes less than a minute if you can leave a little written review as well that'd be amazing maybe just write which guests you've enjoyed or which guests you'd like to see on because i read all of them so i'll definitely see that and if i know who you are and i can work it out from your uh, account i will send you a thank you as well thank you very much for all that support but now without any more delays this is paul whedon okay so what do i do and where do i sit in the industry i suppose to answer that question i am the md and owner of Red24 Management. Red24 Management is a company that I launched nearly nine years ago. It'll be nine years in January 2017. Um, Congratulations. Thank you very much. Uh, we made it. Can you stop now? <laughs> <laughs> no, definitely not. Uh, I'm, I'm too ambitious for that. But the Red24 Management started because I felt there was a gap in the market for a talent agency to represent up-and-coming presenters. That's where we started, solely with TV presenters. I felt that the industry was concentrating on the top talent, the established talent, and not trying to nurture anyone through. So that's why the company started. And I think we have been successful in launching a number of television presenter careers. As the nine years have gone on, we diversify into other areas. We now also look after voiceover artists. We are the bookers for about 90 voiceover artists. We also have a couple of actors, only two. And we also have some commercial acting clients as well. We um, don't manage them, we book their commercial work. So that's kind of how Red24 management has evolved over the nine years. About four years ago, we started looking at comedy as well. I suppose same basic reason, which was I was interested in where new comedians were getting their help from. And also from a personal point of view, I really like comedy. I really like live performance. I really like going to see things. So that was where the interest kind of started. About two and a half, yeah, two and a half years ago, that's when I met Charlotte Austin. Charlotte Austin is actually an extremely good friend. In fact, one of the best friends of Elena Croft, who works in my office. So I was introduced to Charlotte two and a half years ago. She's got seven, eight years of experience in the comedy industry in various areas, including working at some agencies. She wanted to set up an agency looking after comedians. We got talking and decided to set that up together. So Charlotte and I, 50-50, own Catface Talent. Catface sits as the sister company of Red24 Management. I suppose Charlotte brought to the table her experience and expertise and knowledge in that area. I brought my experience and expertise, knowledge and infrastructure in terms of the way an agency should work. So that's where I sit as the MD of Red24 Management and as the 50-50 co-owner of the sister company, which is Catface. So you were a comedian who started at Evo Catface or Red24. Do you do you ever have a conflict of interest of working across both companies or not at all? Because Red Twenty Four does TV, right? Catface does live, so that's where the separation is. So Catface looks after the live work of comedians, mm. whether that be corporate or tours or gigs or Edinburgh or whatever it might be. Red Twenty Four Management looks after television work or, or the media side of things. So that's it's, it's there's no conflict of interest whatsoever. One is media, one is live. And when you're looking for someone to sign to Red24, mm-hmm. first of all, where, where do you look for that? Because if you're looking for up and coming talent, yeah. especially in the presenter field, if you're watching someone do stand up, of course that shows they can present and stand in front of people and, and you know articulate themselves in a good way. But it doesn't say they can read an auto cue or, or a prompt yeah. or anything. The, the kind of the question, where do you look for talent, is a question I get asked a lot. 
And the answer is everywhere. And that sounds massively vague, but if you're with comedians, then it's about going to a lot of live shows, whether it be on the circuit or in Edinburgh. Uh, which shows do you go to? And that comes from sometimes your hunch, sometimes your opinion, sometimes you, know, you meet someone who's, um, whose ideas you respect. You, it can come from anywhere. In terms of kind of just television presenters that aren't necessarily comedians, sometimes that comes from show reels. Sometimes you see presenters working on shows or you hear them on radio shows and you feel that they've got ability and potential, but it's not been tuned properly or marketed properly. So, yeah, the answer is everywhere. I mean, I've found presenters... The presenter that's been with us the longest is Leila Annalee. Been with me since day one. Literally, I mean, two weeks after I decided to start Red24 Management, we had no office, no website, no infrastructure, no contracts, nothing. She signed with us. And I found her because she was working on a late night live interactive poker channel. Not even one on telly, this was one online. She was in effect playing poker live with 40 or 50 people around the world. A friend of a friend owned this online channel. I popped in there for a drink one night. She was presenting, you could see she had talent. Nine, nine and a half years later, eight and a half, nine years later, she's doing exceptionally well as an established presenter with enormous television and credits. So yeah, it can be anywhere. I know it's quite a long answer to your question, but there is no short answer. I find people sometimes on small shows. I find sometimes people on television who are on smaller shows who I think could be doing better. I walk into a gig somewhere, I get introduced to people. And also as the company's reputation grows, then more and more people come to you. I mean, you do tend, you do tend to start attracting talent that fit the kind of things you're good at. But for me, I, I don't know if this analogy all makes sense out loud, but for me, my biggest problem with online dating is they don't want you to find love because then they'll have no business. Mm -hmm. By the sounds of it, you've said that you want to find new talent and nurture it. So do you see yourself as a stepping stone for a new person who wants to grow and then to move to something else? Or do you see yourself as someone who now can continue on that career from someone you found and nurtured? I think that's a really good question. I think uh, at the beginning, for the first few years, we were about nurturing. That was where, as a company, our skill set lay. We were very good at finding people and developing them and moving them up. But if I'm being honest, maybe at years two and three, we didn't have the level of profile as a company to take people forward maybe as far as they would like but that wasn't a problem because we never I don't think any of our presenters outgrew us in those first two or three years but if I try and kind of analyze if some of the talent we have now we had five and six years ago we might not have been able to do quite as good a job as we are now but I think what has happened we have grown as our talent has grown so I suppose the level of talent we sign now is a lot higher than it was at the beginning. So that's not to say that we don't nurture talent. We still definitely do. But I suppose the chances of assigning someone who is on an online late night poker channel today are very, very slim. We're more likely to sign someone who's on, you know, a good radio station, maybe a regional radio station that we think could be national. Maybe someone who is trying to go back to comedy if someone is doing, you know, a good level of paid gigs maybe we feel they should you know we could help them develop their show and their tour so yeah it is a good question if I think about it carefully 
I think we do still nurture talent, and maybe the starting point has risen a little. And I don't think any of our talents have outgrown us because we, as a company, or as two companies, Red24 Management and the sister company Catface, are still growing and expanding. And I think that's where my role in the company sits. I'm the, you know, I have to move forward. I know no other way. I have to move forward with everything. If I'm not moving forward, I get frustrated and annoyed. So I think my job is to drive the two companies forward. So as long as we continue to do that, I think we've still got the room for our talent to grow within us. Have you seen any companies start in the last nine years that are filling the gap? That, so if, you're, if your entry level's gone up, mm-hmm. have you seen any companies that are filling the gap between someone who maybe is doing a late night poker show and... Yeah, no, no, I, I think there or, are... Or do, you, or do you think now that there, because there's so many people and there's so many other opportunities for people to do that, that they don't need, you know, you need to be up a certain level? I think you're right. I think in maybe the the stage of talent we were looking at years one to three, I think a lot of that can now be done yourself. I mean, it's nine or ten years later. Things have changed. Um, Access to opportunities is easier now than it was then. So I don't think there's quite the need, but at the same time, I also think that there are a few companies, whose names I'm not going to mention, who have have come along over the last eight or nine years uh, and have tried to look at those gaps I think in the main, they found it much more difficult than they've realised because when you're a new talent agency, when you're brand new, to try and get any traction is exceptionally difficult. You have to be enormously persistent to gain any ground because everyone's looking at you going, who are you? Who are you and who are your talents? And that combination can be very, very difficult. So I think there are a few companies that have tried over the last few years. I don't think any of them are moving forward as much as they would like because it is a lot more difficult than potentially they've realised. When I researched you before this interview, I read that you were doing TV for 10 years before you mm-hmm. got into Red24. So I'm presuming the contacts you made and the friendships that you've got in the industry will have assisted your company to move quicker than potentially another one who has started without that backing. You know what, you would assume so. Um, <laughs> but, but actually, no. And the Assu- reason is this. is the worst thing yeah, in the world. No, yeah. no, no, but it, but it makes perfect sense. What you're saying is totally logical. Absolutely. There's logic there. I did 10 years in TV, so therefore that would give me the start and the contacts. But, you know, I suppose it helps a little bit. There's no doubt about it. But in the main, actually, no, because you're coming in from a very different angle and you're speaking to very different people. You know, the, the people I dealt with when I was... Um, work in the industry weren't really the talent decision makers that's not the people I really had that much access to so you've got to kind of I suppose what it did the 10 years in television gave me a knowledge of the industry the 10 years in television gave me an understanding of the matrix how everything connects and like everything absolutely everything connects so that side of things in terms of knowledge yes in terms of contacts it gave me a few but actually when you're going in as an agent and speaking to a certain type of person within the media industry, the television industry, the radio industry, I actually had to pretty much start again and gain their respect from scratch. If if you were starting again now, what lessons have you? What lessons yeah, have you? Any any new agencies thinking of starting? Well, no, this, do you want some advice? I, no, 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 no. I, I promise you right now <laughs> that no, here's the thing I've got. This is the thing I've learned about this podcast: is ninety nine percent of comedians will listen to a bit of advice, take it in, and then just do what they wanted to do. Yeah. They 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 mean well and, and I and I and I totally respect pretty much ninety nine percent of the circuit. It's just 
I don't think many, and I'm more than happy to put this out, I don't think many people have the business drive to do it on their own. Yeah. And that's why people like you exist. Yeah. So if there is anyone listening, they were going to do it anyway. Yeah, that's and, true. And if they... No, 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 I'm fine. I don't, I don't <laughs> mind. I just, you know, I just suppose um, I'd just be, um, it would have been nice eight and a half, nine years ago for me to hear kind of what I'm about <laughs> to say. I suppose if anyone is about to start, 100% good luck to them, but I'm, I'm jealous that they're getting some advice. Because that's the thing, when you start off, no other agency wants to help you at all. Well, they, they, a lot of them will play the whole, oh, there's room for us all, isn't it great? And you know, hopefully I'm not sounding quite as cynical as that myself, because I'm trying to be a bit more genuine. But the other agencies, certainly when I started, were like, oh, there's room for us all, it'll be great. But actually, all they're doing is just keeping an eye on your talent. I, yeah, I think, and, and this is maybe my own, because I am aware, and I've only just become properly aware of this, that the last, I've had 60 episodes out now at the time of this recording. So if I look at that, that is a very small pocket of a very small industry, and it's a select sample, because I've selected them to come on. So it might just be that select sample that made me feel like this. But I feel like in the industry side, that is the case. Like it's very much more cutthroat. Whereas I think comedians and performers in general, there is enough room for everyone. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Yeah, no, no, I think in the main, and of course there are exceptions for everything, I think the main talent are more gracious. I think, look, let's be honest, if you're you know, a comedian and... I am, yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so you didn't see his hand movement then. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's the quotation marks that hurt. If you're a comedian, <laughs> like yourself, um, and you're coming through the system, you're coming through the ranks however you want to do it, you know I mean? You, you are sitting in green rooms mm. or, you know, or toilets at the side of the stage, <laughs> yeah, all over the country, five nights a week for year after year after year mm. as you build up your skill set. So you do form these relationships and I think because of that in the main comedians are quite gracious in that environment because they've seen their, their, their kind of um, their peers and they've seen their, uh, they've seen a lot of the time some graciousness from their superiors as well. So I think you're absolutely right. I think, particularly in comedians, maybe slightly different with presenters, if I'm being honest, I think there's more a uh, high level of competition there. I think nowhere near as competitive as, I mean, the, the agents and that side of thing, absolutely not. But I think in the main comedians are, yes, yeah, slightly more friendly with each other, professionally friendly. Yeah. And I think maybe presenters slightly more competitive actually but you know but neither of them anywhere close to you know, the industry bonds like me isn't uh, and again there might be my limited perception on that on that side of the industry but i mean i have friends of mine who do presenting work on different online things and also like on tv things and stuff like that now although there are more channels like you said the the channels tend to focus on establishing talent once someone's known it's easier to go we'll get the known person on totally. because they're bankable or because they they'll add an air of gravity and validity to a show oh, x presenter equals y advertising revenue exactly it's as simple as that yeah Whereas with comedy, it's kind of, or with the circuit especially, it's more like there's more opportunities because we could we we could start a night like as in I could contact a pub, get a room, put people in it, and I don't need any industry for that yeah. infrastructure. I could just do that and get people in, get them to pay a five or whatever it is. That's that. Whereas you guys are dependent on a whole other side of it, which in other words, a TV studio, a, pro uh, a production house. So there's so many more variables that you're dependent on, which means there are obviously less opportunities and less risk. Would that be fair to say? What, for a TV presenter? Yeah. I think it is fair at the, uh, at the higher end, it, if, especially if your target is TV, but at the same time, you know, the YouTube revolution over the last 10 years has made it a lot more accessible 
than it used to be. Ten years ago, if you wanted to be a presenter, it was very, very difficult to get job number one. I think it is easier now because you can put together a YouTube channel. You I mean everyone's got a computer that will allow them to edit. So I think the entry point has actually got easier. I think that may have just saturated the market even more. But in terms of getting your first credits, getting away, getting something on the board as a presenter, I think that is easier now than it was actually 10 years or so ago. But I think, you know, as you move up the rungs, I think maybe it's harder than ever because the networks, the channels, relying on established talent even more than ever. A reoccurring theme in this podcast from industry is the biggest problem in comedy is that comedy is looking for the next new thing, like next new performer or whatever. Mm -hmm. And realistically, you are better 15 years, or you're meant to be better 15 years into comedy than you will be five. Yes. And so as a result, then picking up someone who's four years in, five years in, and going, this is the new comedian, let's put him on the Apollo. Yeah. They're not giving a chance to someone who's been doing the rounds, doing their time, making their own voice for 15, 20 years, because they'll not be able to just sell it as the freshest face on the circuit. Yeah. Naturally, that person will be older, probably. They'll be slightly more seasoned and so that the material won't be as accessible maybe because it won't I'm, I'm, I'm generalizing here massively and I'm aware of that and yep. I should point that out now before I get a fucking tweet <laughs> but yeah but the point but the point I'm trying to make is it sounds like it's the reverse in in presenters where they're looking for the elder person the more established person the person that's been there for 20 years and and that's who they bank on rather than banking on the new guy yeah, I think there's less need for the new person. I think if you speak to any of the channels and you speak to whoever looks after talent, they will always tell you how they're looking for new talent. And you know what? They are always looking for new talent because they are always going to need something new. But the majority of the people they're using are established. You know, the, the risk is so high. The competition on the channels and the competition for advertising revenue is so high, it's much easier to go with presenter X that everyone recognised in the last 20 years, the presenter Y that's brand new. So yes, I'd say there is a, a, a very much a difference there. They're looking for new presenters, but there's maybe not the kind of uh, the necessity for it, or they certainly don't feel like there's a necessity for it. There, there's a, a pocket of resistance to, to getting work as a presenter, uh, as a comedian on the circuit, as in more people think it is, I don't know, more inherently noble or to, to do... Yeah, or Congress to what you're doing on the circuit to get a spot on the Apollo rather than presenting Big, Big Brother or whatever it may be. Yeah. What would you say to someone who, who's a bit cynical about maybe getting a job as a presenter? I think it, it's, it's 100% depends where you're trying to go. The key question anyone needs to ask themselves and forget the money for a second. You mean we've all got bills to pay? So if a job comes in, you need to pay your rent. I understand it, but just forget the money thing for, for a second. For the rest of this, we should just do that because I think everyone will have questions later on about money turns okay. on TV. But if we just say from this point on until we say it again, money is not the main driver okay. of any of this. Money's not the driver. Forget okay. money. You need to make a decision on everything, considering the longevity of your career. Where are you trying to be in twenty and thirty years from now? And I think this is a mistake that people make all the time. If you get this right whether you're a presenter or a comedian, if you get this right, you should work for the next 20, 30, and 40 years, depending on your age. So you need to make decisions based on 
that. So if you're a comedian and you get offered a presenting role on Big Brother, is that where you're trying to go in 20 or 30 years from now? If that's going to compromise the direction that you're trying to go in, then don't do it. If it's something that will add to the direction you're going in, then do it. It doesn't matter whether the industry says that that's the wrong thing to do or the right thing to do. Every single case individual, the thing in the office I absolutely hate the most is when people say the industry standard is. The industry standard, there is no industry standard. I absolutely hate it. Every decision has to be with regards to that individual and that particular opportunity, and then you decide. So for some people, doing some presenting is the right thing. For some, it's not, but there's no right or wrong. Absolutely not. Agreed, totally. The only thing I would want to elaborate on in that answer you just gave is when you say there's no industry standard mm -hmm. wouldn't you say there is kind of an industry mould that does better for a presenter because I I know people who are very good at giving talks and giving I mean I do a lot of um uh, corporate talks about social media and, and different things to do with that and, and I know guys on the circuit who do that who would who don't get a look in on tv and things like that because they're not traditionally what you would call attractive or call presenter camera ready or camera friendly so as much as there isn't a, a mold oh, as much as there isn't a, sorry how did you, as industry standard yeah would it be fair to say that, it, that there's a mold that makes it easier for you to transition from circuit to it kind of feels like you're saying to me do you need to be good looking to end up as a tv presenter i'm slightly saying that yeah and, and you know what the answer is predominantly yes right. and i know that sounds harsh but i don't think that makes it an industry standard i suppose when i say industry standard that I mean more, oh, comedians shouldn't present or presenters shouldn't try and be funny. In terms of, look, I think we need to accept that televisions now, the average size of a television in the UK is 44 inches, which means if you're a television presenter, your head is three times the size of a normal head when it's on a close-up. If you're going to be invading somebody's front room on that size, you need to, in the main, be fairly aesthetically pleasing. And a lot of people are gonna tweet about that. A lot of people are gonna say that's wrong. And I think if you're watching an actor in something, then they're trying to portray normality and reality. But if you've got a presenter, unfortunately, people wanna look at someone who is quite good looking. I'm not contesting that because I want to look at someone pretty. Mm -hmm. I do, I do. And when I, even when I say that, I'm gendering it immediately because totally. you wouldn't normally say pretty to a man. Yep. And I'm basically saying I would, I'm, I'm a heterosexual male. I like looking at attractive women who present stuff. I'm not going to deny that at all. But my, my point to that wasn't, because that is kind of a, a given, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. My point was more comedians as a, as a general point aren't necessarily spending hours Getting, you know, like looking amazing. I mean, I just turn up in jeans and a t-shirt. I'm yeah, not. Me too today. Yeah, <laughs> and a lot of. Well, we're not camera ready. What yeah, can we exactly. say? But, we but work. a lot of middle class white comedians mm -hmm. manage to make that transition a lot easier than than other sectors of the circuit. Yeah. And I'm wondering whether that is an inherent problem or an inherent issue that you you come across in the terms that is it a case of if you were going to sign something, say you found someone who was amazing at their job, but they are not traditionally what you could sell. Would you just go from a business? Point of view and I totally understand it if you would but would you just go there's no point because I can't get them anywhere I can't put them anywhere or is it a case of it's it's one of these if you've got talent because because the, the meritocracy question on the circuit is always one that gets thrown up where you know if you've got an agent did they get you that or did you get it on merit all that kind of stuff mm -hmm. so what I'm asking is is the meritocracy there for TV or is it a case of because it's such a visual medium that there are I don't want to say shortcuts but there are loopholes 
that you can that can help you out with it. So what if you're aesthetically pleasing? Can you shortcut onto television? Yeah, or can you? Or, can, or is it easier in that? Or I mean, well, I think I think it depends what's on trend. Yeah. You, know, you you mentioned kind of you know white middle class comedians in a t-shirt firstly i would say the biggest bulk of comedians on the circuit right now are white middle class male t-shirt comedians i would say that's the part of the market that is saturated so if you want to look at the odds you know <laughs> I mean? but, but really you yeah. know what i mean i don't I'll know let's say yeah let's say 25 percent of comedians on the circuit are in that category you know mm. then you could certainly argue that's a part of the reason why so many of those people end up on television so you could argue it's simple maths you know, the talent mm. comes from the largest pool the largest pool is the one that makes it on there so I think there is a, an element of that I really do if I was you know if we were looking at someone and they had talent look it depends on what they wanted to do mm. if we met somebody who was exceptionally talented and all they wanted to do was present a TV show and that was all they wanted to do but we didn't feel they had the right look then there's no point in working with them mm. um, and that's not so much I suppose it is you know from a business point of view but the way we run our business with talent is if we can't help someone achieve what they're trying to achieve there's no point in working with them mm. so if we met someone who was immensely talented and their ultimate goal was someone we didn't believe we could get them then we wouldn't work with them it would be a pointless exercise and pointless start in that relationship on both sides but if me met someone who was exceptionally talented and and they were happy to explore various areas and I mean maybe we didn't feel that being on television was one of them then that's fine there are other routes there are other ways to go yeah it's always going to be a determining factor you know how good someone looks on television is in 2016 100% an important part of the game right or wrong that is just a fact of life so that of course is going to be part of any decision making when you're working with people but certainly not an absolute deal breaker it depends what that person is trying to achieve totally totally and I like the way you phrase that because I always ask any agent do they see it as they're employed by the person or you're or, or you're employed by them it's a relationship it's okay. two way it has to be two way yeah it has to be two way and, and again you could speak to lots of agents and they will give you different answers on this Look, yeah everyone has so yeah, like, everyone, yeah and also you know one thing I think is massively important with, with my background is I didn't come from another agency and I genuinely don't think there's anyone in the last 25 years or so who started up an agency who hasn't come from another agency. They're all offshoots. People learn their trade agency. So my, I haven't got the same ingrained pattern of thought as everyone else. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm happy to be proven wrong on that. But as far as I'm aware, there's nobody else. I have my thoughts on it that are born just out of my thoughts when I started in my kitchen nine years ago, you know? And it has to be a two-way relationship. It has to be. It has to be an equal relationship. It's like any other relationship in life. Every relationship in life only works if both people have a voice, if both people have an opinion. And of course, there'll be an ebb and flow as to the balance of power in that relationship in individual moments in life. But that's the way it is. It's a relationship. It plugs in both sides and the, the relationship will live or die by the development of that, the way the relationship is nurtured, the way the relationship grows, and the decisions that are collectively made. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, that's the best answer towards what I would want in an agent that I've heard so far, because it's, it's whenever I talk to someone about an agent, they always, as you know, I think Charlotte gave a very similar answer thinking about it, because whenever I talk to an agent, I would want it to be, we're working on a career together, yeah. not we're working on my career. Yes. Because because if you're working on my career, it feels too much like I've now got an employee. Yep. And 
that's not, it just doesn't make any sense to me. I, I get how some comedians want that. Like, I get how some comedians just want to get an email every week that goes, you're doing these gigs, or totally. you're doing these auditions, whatever it is, and, and they just turn up, and then they sometimes email going, well, have I not got enough auditions or whatever? But for me, it's less awkward if I know the person well. And I suppose, well, this, this is probably a good segue then. So if you were looking at signing someone, say, let's say there was a comedian yeah. who you wanted to sign because you wanted to get them. In fact, no, would you start at the point of, I've seen that person, I think they would definitely fit well on as a presenter or as a person on TV who does or radio or whatever it might be or would you go that person looks like they've got talent I'll talk to them and find out what they want or would you come with ideas as well and see what you know see if your ideas mold with what they want yeah in terms of potentially signing new talent let's say it is a comedian you'll speak to someone because you think they've got talent wherever you see them however it is and the way I was trying to look at it is we'll have one meeting where you just try and find out about them and try and find out where they're trying to go. And sometimes people have a very clear vision. Sometimes people have absolutely no idea whatsoever. They can just about make it to that gig tonight. And, you know, and we know that. But I think it's important you try and establish at least an idea of who they are and where you think they're trying to go, even if they maybe don't quite know themselves. And then we will always go away and as a collective in the office discuss if we can help that person get to where they're trying to get to. And then we will think about, you know, whether we could plug them into TV show X or get them on tour Y or get them in venue Z at Edinburgh or whatever it might be. So we'll discuss collectively if we think we can help them achieve those goals. And then we will have a second meeting. And at that point, we will come to the person and go, look, from what you've said, directly we think we can help with these areas or I know you're not sure where you think you want to go but we believe that maybe these might work for you and then we have a discussion where we go we can help you with these areas and it develops from there. Let's start with an open micer. Okay. Who ultimate goal wants to be on TV. Yeah. First of all, why are you on the open mic circuit? But different issue. The the let's say they wanted to get on TV. Yeah. What would you say would you say they should approach you? Would you say that you approach them? Would you say that it's not a good idea for if you're at that stage in your career for you to be making those sort of connections? What's I, I have absolutely no idea no problem. I have no idea. <laughs> oh no, um, I'm just having that as a soundbite. Yeah, totally. <laughs> um, I have absolutely no problem being approached by anyone, really, on okay. any level. And there are people out there who are not ready to be signed, who I've tried to give advice to. Some mix, I'm thinking, maybe I'll sign in a few years. Sometimes I'm just like, I really like you and you need help, but I know there's not much out there. So if someone wants to approach at any time, at any point, and I appreciate I'm just about to open the floodgates here, I, I don't think there's any problem in, in approaching. I really don't. As long as it's done well, you know, hello, you're the best agency in the world. You know, just don't send generic emails. You know what I mean? Just if you genuinely think that Red 24 Management might be a match for you for your television work, or if you think Catface Talent might be a match for you for your live work, or if you think any other agency is a match for you, approach them because you think they're a match for you and you've got something that might be a reason to start a relationship. Don't just... Google all the agencies, send in generic emails. So if you're an open micer and you want to approach people, I don't see the harm in it. You never know. But do it sensibly. Do a bit of homework. Do it with a bit of heart, you know? Don't just do it because you think that's what you're supposed to do. No, definitely, definitely. Is it better for someone who is driven and wants to do a presenting job or be a presenter on TV to contact you even if they're not sure they could do it? Or is it better they work on something and then come to you at a certain stage when they feel competent enough? Yeah, I think it is a competency level. Look, if you send me something, if 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 somebody decides to do their first YouTube clip in an hour from now, 
and go, that looks good, I'm going to send that in, then you, know, you, you could argue you may have lost your opportunity. So I think you should only send, some, send something in when you feel that it's good, you know? But this is a discussion you, I have with anyone who's doing their showreel. I mean, it's always like, oh, can I just add this clip? Can we just send it next week? There has to be a cutoff point. But at the same time, you know, I think if you are going to start making your own content then don't start sending it out there until you believe it's of a certain standard. Don't wait forever. Yeah. I mean, because the next one you think will always be better. But it's like anything. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. But it's like, you know, if you are starting off doing the circuit, you think back from, if you try and compare gig five to gig 25 to gig 50 to gig 100 to gig 500, enormous leaps each time. Mm. If you are going to start recording stuff on YouTube, it'll be the same level of jumps from... Recording five to recording 25, 50, 100, etc. Yeah, I mean, I know some comedians who've been going 20 odd years, some some more than that, who sort of feel like, well, not there's no point, but it's like the, the not it's passed them by, but it's one of those things where you see so many young people on TV or you see so many established people on TV, it can almost be disheartening and off-putting. I mean, you, from what you've said, it's, it is kind of not disheartening and off-putting, but it sounds like, yeah, they'll have their, their roster of established people and they'll have a few people they're taking punts on, but obviously not having that many slots to do that. People who, Bruce Forsyth, for example, let's go with the extreme at that end, who's... Yeah. I don't know, I think he's 80 or something. Yeah, he's 80. Or, yeah, or, or, you know, someone who's 20, you might be thinking, well, why would they put me on? Like, what, what would be the thing? How, how many shows or how many commissioners? Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Come to you and say, we're developing this show, we need talent. Or is it production houses that come to you and say, we're developing this show, do you have talent that fits this? Production companies sometimes do that, but the best way to get noticed by a production company is to go to them with an idea. Okay. And the holy grail of ideas is the idea that requires you. And that is not an easy thing to do, but that really is the key to it. So if you are a 40-year-old male or female comedian, or you're 50 or 30 or 21 or 70 years old, and you want to try and get 
the um, production companies to notice you, mm-hmm. the best way is to come up with a program idea that is sensible, is feasible, that isn't expensive, that 100% requires you as an individual. I'm fully aware that is not an easy thing to do, but the best way is that way. So, of course, production companies do occasionally come along, occasionally. They do come along and go, we're looking for X, what have you got? We're looking for Y, what have you got? 100%. But if anything, that's maybe happening slightly less. Why is it happening less? I'm not sure, actually. But I think it's maybe happening slightly less than it used to. But the best way to get noticed by a production company is to is to hit them with an amazing idea where you're the focal point. How do you make business decisions, then, if you're not... If you're not being told by, I'm, I'm thinking of Dave right now just because we met at the Dave party, but let's say let's say Dave, mm-hmm. if Dave aren't coming to you and saying, we are developing X, Y, and Z show and we need presenters that look like this, that, or that, yeah. how are you making business decisions on booking people? Because from what you've said, you've said, we'll sit down as a company and say, can we help this person achieve this? Yes. Surely you need to know an end game for a company or a TV channel to know if you can give them what that is, because there doesn't seem to be a bridge there in my Yeah, head. no, no, I totally understand. Look, in the main, it wouldn't be Dave coming, asking yeah. for the, about the, the talents that Dave mm. would have the, you know, production companies that they're using that are in bed mm. with for whatever reason. The production companies are the ones having the conversations. But look, you need to be all over the industry. You need to understand the industry. You need to be, you know, reading the publications like broadcast or whatever. You need to make sure that you're 100% abreast of everything that's going on in the industry. From that, try and understand and take i want to say educated guesses but that kind of sounds a bit a bit too kind of flimsy you want to be able in a position of knowledge where you can you feel like you can accurately predict what the industry is going to want next in each individual area and that combined with a hunch which i know sounds stupid but i think we all make decisions in life based on our gut feeling. So the knowledge, the ability to try and use that knowledge to, to see what's coming up on the next curve, combined with the gut instinct of a collective in the office who've got X number of years of industry experience, I think those things combined lead you to try and make decisions as to what talent can fit what potential briefs that are coming up. So if I look at a, a good example, not comedy related, but a good example. Halfway through the Olympics in 2012 in London, I came into the office one morning and I said to the whole office, the Olympics has changed sport in this country forever. Look, everybody's watching the Olympics, everybody. It was, it was an amazing experience that the city went crazy, but the whole country did. But more importantly, a lot more women were watching sport, a lot more than ever before. You know, I saw my wife never watches sports. You watch the Olympics, something changed. I'm not saying women don't watch sport, but you know, the percentages changed massively. It was, you know, I think it became something like 55, 45, the male-female viewing ratio of sport. It changed. And the way sport was being presented started changing as well the interviews were becoming a bit more glossy a bit more entertainment everything had changed i came in the office and went we design some sports entertainment presenters it's a category that you know i'm sure has been mentioned before but it wasn't one that i read i came to the office and went this is changing we need some sports entertainment presenters the way sport is being presented is changing and we deliberately went out and tried to target some female sports entertainment presenters we signed some, and they all now, two years later, are doing exceptionally well on massively high-profile sports channels. So that is an example of knowing the industry, feeling a hunch, sensing a change, looking for talent that fit where you thought things were going, and 100% it's played out for us and has become a key component of 
Red24 as a company, a key component of our business. And that started from that moment. So the Olympics is obviously a really big milestone that you can kind of lynch pin into. Mm -hmm. And in terms of TV at the moment and the way it's going and developing, a lot more of it's going online, a lot more of it's going on demand players. You know, I think it was BBC Free, the one that closed down and like yeah, moved it's all, completely online. Yeah, and completely stuff. online. So is it becoming harder for you to predict trends because of the number of channels that are opening up, the the, the way that the channels are becoming viewed? And I, I don't think it is. No, I really don't. Another example is three years ago, Magic started being talked about a lot more, which kind of came from online. Started with Dynamo, right? So again, it's kind Dynamo. of okay, but, but 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 Dynamo <laughs> online, he started online, mm. right? So I think you know, and just before his show got commissioned, everyone started talking about Magic again. The BBC were doing; they did a show with you, know, Penn and Teller, where Penn and Teller were trying to suss out magicians, and they did. You know, there was all sorts of Magic shows that kind of came from them. And just before Dynamo's show got commissioned. A lot of people in the industry were saying magic's going to be big again. Magic's going to be big again, and absolutely it was. Maybe we've gone past that curve. Time will tell. But I, I think you can predict things. I think things being online as well. I think it's just more opportunity. Maybe it's more things to sift through, more things to keep your eye on. But actually, I think the more information you've got should, if it's analysed properly and looked at properly, give you more opportunities to predict what might happen. Mm, definitely. Yeah, the more information you have, the better your perspective yeah, can be. Totally. Yeah, so totally. I think things going online can only help. Okay. Yeah. Make it, see what's coming. Makes it easier for you to watch it on your own terms and times rather than yeah. I can see that. A lot of TV people, you know, like Ian Coyle and, and Graham, uh, Graham Smith and people like that, have said TV don't, doesn't really break comedians anymore in the same way it used to because of because of the the amount of channels and the way that attention is being spread out. Is it a case of comedians are adjusting to that and coming to you with different should we say expectations or targets as a result or are people still coming to you and saying i want to be on tv because i think it will help my comedy career or i think it will help my exposure yeah that is you know that is a, a constant line you know get me on tv i'll get more exposure i get more exposure i'll sell more tickets but the end goal most of the time with a comedian is about performing to as many people as possible it really is the tv for most comedians is just the means to you know trying to fill the Apollo or or the O2 if they're being extremely ambitious. One of the things I wanted to ask, but I don't quite know how to ask it because there's no, there's normally, um, I try and put these in a, in a, I try and put these in a narrative order that I think they're going to go in. Yeah. And I kind of cross, that's what I'm doing when I'm doing this, I'm trying to cross them off as I go along. And one thing we're, we're not quite leaning into is in comedy agents sometimes talk about finding the next X yeah we're looking for the next Russell Howard we're looking for yeah, the next Lee Evans exactly the next Lee Evans would be brilliant for everyone because he's not gigging anymore um, exactly absolutely it always happens Do you, and, but the problem I find with that is is that that breeds a culture of people trying to be a poor version of X worst thing in the world yeah worst thing in the world so is that the same in TV where you're looking for the next Bruce Forsyth, which can be someone who can be going for 60 years with the same catchphrase, or is it a case of when you're looking for new talent to nurture, you're looking for literally something that hasn't been there before but is talent? I think it's a bit of both. I think I would love to sit here and go, it's not about what's gone before, it's about finding a total individual, it's about their skill set, it's about them owning it. I would love to sit here and say that, but if we're realistic, you have to try and look at what the market likes and if you want to look ahead, so, you know, if I was looking for I don't know, most successful male presenter at the moment, he's back on X Factor, you'd say Dermot, right? Dermot O'Leary is about my age, he's about 40, I don't know exactly, but he's around that age. Uh, and, you know, and he kind of came through the, um, 
the big brother route no t4 to big brother he went through a route that doesn't exist anymore you know t4 was an amazing breeding ground for new presenters but but, but has long gone so if you're looking at uh you know if I was to have a presenter walk to this office now, a 19 or 20 year old male presenter who was quite pretty, I mean, I think, um, I think if you had a guy who was quite pretty and had a bit of a regional accent and was naturally quite charming, I think you would sit there and go, oh, okay, you know, look at what Dermot's done over the last 20 years. Is there anything from that we can pull in? Now, I don't think that means that you're looking for the next Dermot O'Leary. That would be crazy because you just end up with an imitation. But if you were looking at this 20-year-old pretty male presenter, would you compare him a little? Would you have Dermot's route over the last 15 or 20 years in mind when you were talking to him? Absolutely you would, along with 10 or 15 other presenters that you thought were in the same category as this guy. So I think it's always going to be there to a certain extent. But for me, and for what we do, for what the office do, you, we're not looking for the next whatever. We don't go out there and purposely look for the next Dermot or the next Davina or the next Holly or whatever it is. Because I just don't think you can. But you're always going to have those things in mind. Of course. Always. Yeah. And in terms of contracts or signing someone mm -hmm. most people when they think of a job they get paid a salary for when they're there and you know sort of holiday pay and all that kind of stuff as I understand it most TV jobs you basically do it as a freelancer yeah you're not employed by the channel necessarily you might be employed by the production house if they've got a long-term thing yeah but 99.9% of the time freelance and in, and in terms of contractual help with signing with you mm -hmm. so we're not talking about the contracts you bring in to get that person yeah. we're talking about what deal you offer performers yeah. say the, uh, someone listening to this you've offered them a contract to come work with you and they've never had a TV or a radio agent before yeah. are there any places that you know that could assist them just going through that contract because obviously you can do it but you're biased because you're offering, you're offering a contract I'm not, <laughs> I'm not saying yeah, you'd no, offer no, no, absolutely. do you know what I'm saying yeah, yeah no, of course I do I think if you're a member of Spotlight they can help mm. you I think that that, that's an area um, mm. or if you're a member of equity then they can help you but mm. I know a lot of comedians wouldn't be other than that hand on heart no I don't I really don't I think if you're given a contract whether it be for talent representation or for a letting agreement on a new flat or for a finance package on a car you know, go away and read it and make sure somebody who you know who either has some legal experience or a good eye for it. You know, you know, my advice would be actually, I'm thinking about it, give it to the most pedantic person you know and get them to read it because that's what you need. You need someone to go through any contract in that way. Please don't say that because I'm going to get emails. <laughs> Everyone knows how pedantic I am. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you're the person. Yeah. So send them to you. Don't send them to me. Simon, you are the man to read all these contracts. Don't, don't send them. Just no, but really, it just, <laughs> it, it just needs a, it needs a good eye on it, you know? Yeah. But you, maybe there should be actually, you know, this is not something I've, been asked before in all honesty maybe there should be a bit more help with something like this because well, people do make mistakes yeah that's for certain I, th I think especially younger talent get mm -hmm. quite excited because they think an agent will come along and do a lot for them and they generally do but also they they have high expectations for for what they can and can't do yep. and I think often when I talk to someone who's left an agent or, or agents left them or whatever it happens to be it's because they haven't either had expect, uh, managed expectations or they haven't understood a contract well and it's just and that's a learning curve but I'm but I'm trying to find out if there are any facilities to do that because if 
if I got offered a contract, to, so I was talking to an agent the other day, if they offered me a contract tomorrow, I literally don't know where I would go with that to, to, to be like, is this a good deal? Like, is, is 10, 15, 20%, of, is that normal? Do you know what I mean? In terms of the deal, you know I mean, you, you, how many comedians do you know? You know I mean, in terms of the basics of the deal, length of term, percentage, you know I mean, those kind of key things, that you could bounce off. Yeah, but that's, that's, that's a contract that you've brought in, isn't it? Because that's a length of... Because t- I assume when you... If you sign someone, you're not signing them for five years? Or no, you, no, no, no. You're no. just ongoing signing with them? Yeah, it's a minimum one-year contract that rolls. Okay. Yeah. Oh, so it rolls every year kind of thing. Oh, interesting. I would... And again, I assumed... Assuming's bad. Let's demyth this. I would have assumed that you would sign someone up and it would be a case of that is... So like with a job, you would sign up and it's until one of you says, I don't want to work here anymore. No. It, well, yes, but then you go into a notice period, whatever the notice period has been agreed at the beginning. Which is a year yeah. for you guys. Okay. Yeah. And in terms of the next sort of, let's say, five years for a 24, let's just stick with that rather than Cafe Sam Red 24. Where would you say at the moment is, is the area you're working on most? And where would you say is like your, your biggest, uh, not weakness, but like the area that you think you, you would love to work on more because you, you're looking at getting more talent in that area or just generally it's something that you haven't invested in yet, but you want to in the future? I don't think there's any specific area. Again, it depends on. Sorry. Um, I don't think there's any specific area. Again, it's back to what I said before. It's about what the individual talent wants, and it's about working on those goals collectively. So, you know, I don't think there's any kind of you know. Oh, I'd love to make sure we have a presenter on X show or Y channel. I genuinely, don't have that kind of target, but. If you're asking me where Red Twin for Management, do I believe and want it to be in five years from now? I want our talent to be further forward in their careers and hitting their three, four and five year goals because that's what we're doing our job. So, yeah, it's as simple as that. As long as the talent are achieving the goals that we have all agreed on that we believe are manageable and achievable while still being ambitious i suppose it's, it's about being ambitious but realistic i think it's a combination of those things and i'm the one in the office is always like yeah let's take you know let's get that massive job let's you know let's take a media let's take a two down seat theater not a 500 you know but so it's about collectively amongst the office and with the talent getting that balance right but where do i want us to be in five years from now i want the talent we have now to be five years further forward in their career and happy with how their career is developing because it's still moving forward. Fair enough, yeah. And in terms of, like we were talking about before, TV changing and adjusting and and, uh, evolving in a lot of ways, where do you see TV evolving in a few years? I mean, do you you think it's going to become, because a lot of channels, so, uh, I mean, I won't pick on any channels specifically, but a lot of channels focus on game shows quite a lot. And so there's sort of, uh, like you said, one person doing the presenting and they tend to be a consistent person. And then there are other channels that are investing more in drama shows or or reports on whatever it would be. So where do you see that going and how do you think that's going to affect you as a business? It's a big question. (laughs) Um, And you you mentioned the BBC Three thing earlier, going online. Look, I think there may well over the next, what, five years? Is that the time for me talking about? Uh, one to five years. Okay, so I think you know, over the next one to five years, I think we may see a decrease in the number of channels. 
not in sport. I think we've seen an increase in the number of sports channels, particularly with BT over the last couple of years, joined the marketplace. I think the amount of sports channels will pretty much stay as it is. I think it'll be very hard for someone new to break into that level. Um, but I think in terms of the entertainment channels, massive, broad spectrum, I think we may see the number of those channels reduce, BBC Three being the first. I think we will see more things going online. I think the next big thing will be an international format that sits online. If someone can nail an international format that will work in the various time slots across the different time zones, so a live show that would work I mean, um, at 7pm in the UK, but would also work at 10am in Asia and midnight in the US, if someone can come up with a format that will work across all the time zones, then that will be a massive hit. Everyone's looking for that. Just like, which is why football's become so powerful. You know, because why? because I don't watch football. So okay, so if you're a football fan, the Premier League is the most watched sport in the world by an absolute mile. Because if you're a football fan in Asia, you'll watch it at any time. It doesn't make any difference, and you have to tune in live to it. So if you're in Asia or America, so whether it's midnight or nine in the morning or seven p.m. or whatever it is, it's still getting watched. The fans are loyal, so therefore it's got a multinational viewership and it's something you have to watch live so if someone else can find some sort of imagine if you could find some sort of x-factor style format that had to be watched live because if you didn't you'd find out through social media too quickly what the results were but a format that would work if you were watching it at 9 a.m or midday or 6 p.m or midnight. If someone could find that format, I think that's the way things are going to go. I think there'll be a multinational live entertainment television format. Football is one of those things that's universal. Like it's 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 a sport, so everyone kind of well, I don't understand it, but most people understand it who un- who want to understand it. Yeah. Whereas if it was a a TV show, so say it was a period drama or it was a comedy or a sitcom, but or whatever. a talent show, a talent show could work. Oh, so that's what they're going for. Well, so. I don't. I, I'm, oh. You know, you're asking me to predict what might happen. Oh, yeah, no, no, I, you mean, I, I think I think there'll be less entertainment channels. I think there'll be more of a shift online. I really do, and I think the holy grail of online is some sort of multinational appointment to view live show that you had to watch live that was comfortable viewing in different time zones at different times. It's like Daniel Kitson. He can put a show on at 11 at night or 2 in the morning or yeah. whatever and people go. Correct. Fair enough. Do you watch talent shows? Do I watch? Talent shows. Uh, a little. I, I watch I watch a little bit of a lot of television. There's a lot of it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I just wondered because you mentioned it and, and I... I feel like that's breeding a culture of anyone doing anything just to be famous. And so I wondered whether, as an industry person, that is somewhere you look for talent or if it's somewhere that you would look for a laugh. Yeah, (laughs) I've never looked at any talent show for any talent. I don't think we've ever signed anyone that's been involved in any talent shows. I'm just trying to go through, like, no one. I mean, and not say that we wouldn't in the future, perhaps, oh, yeah, yeah. and that's an age of playing his odds. But, um, <laughs> but, no, but, but really, I just, it's, 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 it's not an area of interest to me or to the office. You know, we don't. Um, you know, there are other agencies that you look after, kind of, I don't know, reality stars that pop out of these kind of talent shows and try and. You know, that, that's a different marketplace. It's not what we do here. It's not what we're interested in. So no, it's it's not an area we've ever looked. And you know, 
it's not an area we're going to look at in the future either, I can say that with certainty. Playing devil's advocate for a, for a comedian listening in who maybe wants to break into TV or maybe wants to become a presenter as well as a comedian or whatever it might be, if they believed, or if I say that I believe for, for whatever reason, I don't believe this, but say I was them and I believe that TV is a closed door for non-represented acts, would you agree with that or would you say that that's... I would say it's exceptionally difficult for non-represented acts to get into television, but not impossible. Why? To get into television, you need to understand the medium, you need to have the contacts, you need to have the persistence to combine the contacts and the knowledge with your skill set. You need the skill set of an agent to be able to get in to television. Some comedians have that ability. Some comedians would have, you know, had the ability to run their own business or join those dots or make those connections or have the bloody mindedness to do it. So some do, but most don't. Most people are performing because they wanted to perform. And again, I'm generalizing massively, but what I do for a living and what my office does for a living is a very specialized thing that takes a long time to tune and understand and get right. And not many people have that natural skill set. So not impossible. Absolutely. If anyone tells you you have to have an agent to make it onto television, that's not true. But you have to be a certain type of person to be able to move forward with your career without an agent. And I don't think many people out there performing right now are that type of person. Fair enough. These are the last quick fire questions. Yeah. So the quick fire for me, you can take as long as you want to answer them. Right. I ask every guest these ones. So what is the biggest mistake you've ever made and how did you get over it? What, in this industry or in life? <laughs> I keep it open on purpose. <laughs> Go on, ask the question again. What's what, the... what is the biggest mistake you've ever made and how did you overcome it? Often, the personal mistake tends to impact the business like sort of you know because you don't want to make that mistake in a business sense because then your money's on the line okay so big yeah. mistake ever made when i worked in television in my 20s i kept making decisions purely based on money i made financial decision after financial decision after financial decision which left me in a situation where i was living in beverly hills earning lots of money and i was exceptionally unhappy i jacked it all in and took two years off to clear my head and then I started this business and I now don't make decisions based on money. I make decisions on what is the best thing to do for me and the people around me. And you know what? If you make those good decisions, then the career falls into place and then the money comes as a consequence. So biggest mistake I made, definitely through my 20s, I made purely financial decisions, which has changed my total outlook on the way I run my life now. Cool. What do you think are the biggest misconceptions about what you do? Oh, let me just sit around all day waiting for the phone to ring. This is the bit of the industry, this is the bit of my job that probably is the most frustrating, is that the clients, the talent that you represent, I genuinely don't think, most of them, some do, but most of them don't realise that we work really hard, like really hard, much harder than they know. So I think the misconception is that we all just, you know, come in late, have long lunches, have a few drinks, and every now and again the phone rings and we close a deal. That's not how it works at all. You know, we're not a taxi service. That's not how it works. So I think the misconception is the workload involved. It's a constant. What I do for a living is a constant. I am always, always a little bit of work. And I'm fine with that. It's the decision I've made to do this. But yeah, I think that's the misconception. That leads me neatly into the next question. What is the most interesting thing you do that nobody ever gets to see? The most interesting thing I do 
that nobody gets to see. Don't don't be rude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, Charlotte will listen to this. When you say nobody, you mean nobody on the outside, or do you mean nobody like include in the office? I do, do you mean as a company, what's the most interesting thing we do that nobody else gets to see? I or? tend to keep it to the person, but okay. no one's followed up that question before. So if you think there's something you do that not even the company knows, or that not even your staff see, then that would probably be quite interesting. All right, ask the question again then. I'll do it's it clean. a tricky one. Yeah, go on, do it clean. Yeah, well, that leads me on neatly then to what is the most interesting thing you do that nobody ever gets to see? It's a tough question. I don't know whether this is interesting or not, but trying to think of something that nobody else gets to see is... And when I say nobody, I'm, I'm including my office on this. When somebody nails a big job, and when I mean nails a big job, I mean nails the job that's the next step on the career, because the next step in your career, that's that person's big job. I will celebrate it with my wife. I will celebrate it at home as if it's something, like it's a member of my family or something. And I know that sounds really cheesy, but if someone nails that job that's taken on the step forward in the career that we've worked on collectively for six months, 12 months, 18 months, two years, however long it is, I will privately celebrate that moment. We've kind of covered this one, but I'll ask you it just to see if you give a, a different answer when you're asked it directly. Normally I would ask, what is the biggest problem in the comedy industry and how would you go about solving it? But I'm going to change it to, what do you think is the biggest problem in the TV industry and how would you go about solving it? The biggest problem is production companies and channels not taking a risk on new talent. That is the biggest problem. And how do you go about changing it? Hey, I, I, I think as a company we kind of are. I think we have talent that maybe other people wouldn't have signed for whatever reason, that we're pushing further and further up the scale. And I think it's only a matter of time if we break that top seal. I really do. And when I say a matter of time, that might be six months, that might be two years, that might be, you know, it, it takes as long as it takes. But the biggest problem in the industry is not taking a, is, is a reluctance to break the status quo. And I think eventually we will get there as we keep developing our talent. Do you think that ties into what we were talking about before, where we were talking about aesthetically pleasing people and, and cultural narratives and societal narratives that aren't changing as a result, their business and their jobs are on the line, which means that they can't challenge those in that way, mm -hmm. which means that they're not, it's, it's kind of a self-fulfilling cycle. Because there's, a, there's a, a, a standard for beauty or for aesthetically pleasingness that goes on TV, if they were to challenge that by putting someone on that isn't in that status quo, they're putting not just that, that show on the risk, but their job and the channel, and, and then that has a knock-on effect to advertising and stuff. So do you think it's a, a wider thing than just the industry? It's a, it's a societal problem there. Yeah, I think it is a cultural thing, totally. I mean, everyone, everyone is obsessed with portraying themselves in the best light possible. And I think the aesthetically pleasing side of life is something that is more prominent than it's ever been. I think, you know, look at, if you look at all the stats for under 21s at the moment, they're drinking less, they're smoking less, they're taking less drugs because ultimately they're much more health conscious because of vanity and they want to look good. You know what I mean? That all the stats are indicating towards that. So I think everyone is obsessed with looking as good as possible and everyone wants to look at people who look as good as possible as a result of that. Absolutely. It's all linked. Sorry, I was, I was only chuckling to myself because I've stopped doing all those three things in favour of chocolate and that's, not, ma it. that's not making me sexy. <laughs> but it, know. it is making Maybe me it happier. Is. <laughs> if you're happy, and that's what it's about, right? I can't tell if I'm happy or on a sugar high half the time, so it could be either one. This is one of my favourite questions to ask, and given your reaction to the last one, I'm going to be interested to see how you take Go it. On. Who do you think is the most underrated person in the industry? Uh, individual or role? Individual. In, most underrated individual person in the industry? Yeah. Wow, that's a great question. It's my favourite one to ask. Most underrated person in yeah. the television industry. All right. You kind of put me on the spot because I wasn't expecting this question, and it's a tough one. So off the 
top of my head, I am... Okay, I'm, you mentioned him earlier, Bruce Forsyth. You know why? Because he is a man who has been massively berated over the last few years because of Strictly and he's too old, this, that and the other. But, but he is a man who has been on television for 50 years constantly and he is a presenter that can do good interviews can do game shows can do funny can do song and dance and i think i think over the last couple of years he's been ridiculed a little too much and i think over the last 50 years he is the best most consistent most important all-round presenter that's been in this country last question what is the best bit of advice you've ever been given and if you had one bit of advice for a comedian who wanted to get either an eight well i was gonna say break into tv but let's say get an agent who would help them get into tv what would it be best bit of advice i've ever been given (laughs) sounds like no one's ever given me any advice i can't think what's the best bit of advice i'm not no no it's just it's just it's kind of these kind of conversations are interesting because you end up kind of um, slightly self-analysing but you don't normally self-analyse and I'm kind of quite a I believe it should be done that way off we go I'm quite I'm, I'm that person I don't think I've got any short advice I haven't got kind of like you know I feel like at this moment you should have some sort of um, three hours on the task cam you then we're fine <laughs> you should have kind of some inspirational uh, you know quote look I think for any comedian any performer just work hard and be as good as you can be don't be affected by the nonsense around you particularly when you're in dressing rooms, my God, the things people say, just, you know, if you're in a dressing room or a green room, just focus on you, be as good as you can be. And if you want to get an agent to further your career, take your time and find the right agent that is an emotional match for you. That's what you've got to find. Don't just take the first agent. Don't just go with the one that they said was good or the, the, the big one or the small one or whatever it is. Go with the one that feels right to you because you are the only person who knows what's best for your career you're the only person who knows who the right match is to help you achieve your goal so work hard be as good as you can be ignore the rubbish that's around you 24 7 and find the agent that yeah connects with you well thank you very much for coming on no that problem. was thank you very much. i enjoyed it what a lovely guy i his earnest reasoning for starting red 24 and the subsequent move into co-founding catface which by the way has also been on the podcast so if you're interested in hearing from charlotte austin who runs catface comedy i can't remember off the top of my head what number episode it was but if you scroll back through it's one of the other agents i've had on and i've got loads more agents coming on in 2017 so do remember to subscribe if you want to hear more from that side of the industry i wish more companies were investing in new talent in the way that he was and continues to do as well as Catface who also invest in comedians careers and their live bookings I think people that do that and people that put themselves out there to start their own thing and do that are the future of this they have to be by definition they're bringing through the next generation of presenters in this case or comedians in Catface's case and and there are other agencies that are doing it but I'm plugging them because this is their podcast so I think I think they're worth investing in as well and I think they're worth listening to because obviously they've had years of experience in order to start their company. It's not they are new, it's they are new to their own company. And as uh, Paul said, it's now eight years old, so it's not even a new company really now. I want to point out really quickly, all the guests don't know the questions before I ask them. I don't give them them up front. So I thought he handled them very well. And I felt like all the guests so far this year have handled all of the awkward questions really well as well. So thank you very much for being so accommodating of the structure and the format of the show, both Paul and everyone else we've had on so far this year. 
If you'd like to thank him, you can find all of the links to his social media accounts as well as Red24 social media accounts in the show notes. There's also easy ways for you to share the episode with people who might value it. All of that helps as well as spreading it, spreading the word of the show. And also, it's just a nice thing to give back to the guests who have given us their time and given us their answers and knowledge. So if you have a minute and you've enjoyed this or any of the episodes this year so far, please do take a minute and just tweet or Facebook or however you want to do it, but just give the guests the courtesy of saying thank you if you valued what they've given you. If you would like to give it a review on iTunes, that'd be amazing. That gives back to me, that gives back to the show, and it really helps with chart positioning as well as the recommendation engine on iTunes, as I said. Again, you have to do it on the actual desktop version of iTunes, which is a bit of a pain, but to be honest with you, it adds 12 seconds to your life at most. So if you can do that, that'd be amazing. Also leave a little written review. The written reviews help out more than just the ratings. So if you can do that, that'd be amazing. Just write in who you liked as a guest and why, and that's really useful. You can also give a donation to the show to help the show out financially, either as a one-off via PayPal on my website, which is simonk.co.uk, or as an ongoing payment via Patreon from $1 an episode. Can you afford $1 was what you just heard worth 80p of your money or whatever it is in your currency? I'm aware that the downloads, because I checked it recently, the downloads have started to spike in both America and Asia, which I find really interesting. And also Germany. We had quite a lot of downloads in the last couple of months in Germany. So I don't know why that's happening. And if you are someone who is sharing it in those countries and helping out, do email me. I'd love to thank you for your extra help and for your extra work. It started out as a British thing and it kind of still is in terms of the guests, but I want to expand. I've had some guests on from Australia. I've got some guests coming on from Canada soon and I'm just trying to expand it as best I can. So just keep sharing it. It's really helpful. Thank you so much for that. But like I said, if you want to donate as well, that's also helpful because this cost me a lot of time and effort to do. Or this is a new way of helping me out if you can. I'm doing two shows at the Glasgow Fringe this month. If you're in Glasgow or you can get to Glasgow and you have the chance to come down and support me, please do. It's my first time in Glasgow. Well, I did a tour show in Glasgow earlier in 2016 and it didn't go well because it was on the same day as a football match happened and it meant that nobody came to the show it was like one of the big matches I can't remember which one it was but out of that we got the Michael Redman podcast so if you want to give that one a listen you can hear in the background everyone cheering the football team while we're trying to record but I'm going back with Buddhism and Cats because I didn't feel like it got a fair airing that time because of the football game so If you would like to come watch Buddhism and Cats, it's 8.30pm on March the 20th at the Yes Bar. And the next day, on the 21st of March at 9.45pm, I am doing a work in progress of my new show, which is called Laughter is the Best Placebo, and it's also at the Yes Bar. Both gigs are £5 for a ticket and are an hour long, so if you can support me and come down to either or both of those, please do. And if you do, come say hi. I'd love to meet more people who listen to the podcast and enjoy what I'm doing with this show and with this project, because otherwise the download number just doesn't mean that much. It's nice to meet the people and have conversations with actual people. So if you do come down, please come and say hi. But for now, thank you so much for listening, thank you so much for donating, and thank you so much for coming to see me on the tour dates if you can. Full tour dates, by the way, are linked in the show notes as well, so you can come see me at another date if you're not in Glasgow. But for now, I'll see you all in about 15 days' time. Bye! Hold up, what was that? 
boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.